welcome to Moving Upstream, a podcast by Prevention Institute. We're a national nonprofit with offices in Oakland, Los Angeles, Houston, and Washington, D.C. Each episode, we look closely at a health or equity issue in the news to understand how we got here and to find a healthier, more equitable way forward. I'm Howard Pinderhughes. I'm a professor of social behavioral sciences at the University of California in San Francisco, and I've been working with Prevention Institute for the last 15 to 20 years on violence prevention, trauma, community trauma, and developing strategies and systems for promoting health and wellness in communities of color around the country. Today we're going to be talking with three representatives from initiatives across the country as a part of the Making Connections initiative, which focuses on the mental health of young boys and men of color and veterans across the country. We're going to be looking at some of the highlights of the lessons and ideas that have come from the local work in these Making Connection sites over the last five years that they've been doing the work. First off, I'd like to introduce our panel and let you know who you're going to be hearing from. We've got Marcus Mitchell, who's here from Hemingway, South Carolina. Correct. And he is working with the Passport to Manhood Collaborative in Hemingway, South Carolina, and Marcus is the director of Rick and Susan Goings Boys and Girls Club in Hemingway, South Carolina. And we have Carlina Porcena with the Male Engagement Network in Boston, Massachusetts, and she is the senior program officer with LISC. Finally, we've got Abdueli Haji, who's with the East African Men and Boys Collaborative in San Diego, and he's the program manager with the United Women of East Africa support team in San Diego. So welcome and thank you, each one of you, for uh, participating with our podcast today. I'd like to start off by having each of you give a brief description of the initiative that you have in your communities, because each one of the Making Connections sites is doing things somewhat different because it's based on the community needs as well as the capacities and what you have happening in the community on the ground. So I think it'd be useful for folks to hear what specifically you're trying to do, and then we can get into how you're doing it, some of the challenges you might have encountered, and what are the lessons learned, and what are the ways in which we can try to sustain this kind of work moving forward? So why don't we start with you, Marcus? Well, um, in Hemingway, South Carolina, we actually do have a program called Passport to Manhood, which it helps transition boys to become men through life lessons, community service, community outreach, and academic success. As far as drawing them to become better men, not just for today, but as far as in the future as well, I mean, it's just a great program that I'm glad that we're involved in, being in the community that I live in. You see a lot of different things, and um, you don't want the boys to fall victim to being in that community. So we're always trying to find different ways to bring a program in there so that we can help lead them in the right path in the positive outreach. And what are some of the ways that you're doing that? Well, one thing we just started was as far as going to the local food line and um, actually giving back to the community as far as bagging groceries for the elderly, taking grocery bags out to their car for them, helping the workers stock shelves, anything that we can do inside as far as giving back. That's our main goal, you know, setting that positive outlook on everything instead of the negative. Carlene? Hi, everyone. I'm Carlene Porcena. I'm with the Local Initiative Support Corporation, LISC, out of the Boston site. And I help to lead the Mail Engagement Network in Boston. So we are a network of over seven different organizations all working throughout Boston. Our target population is 
men of color between the ages of 26 and 55. So we kind of made a specific effort to work with folks that are like 24, 25, 26. We're kind of getting left off of the resources and support realm. So our main focus is really on the adults. Our goal is essentially to help with mental well-being, increase social connectedness, and then also financial stability. So I know a lot of the cities on the coast are facing a lot of economic challenges right now. Boston is becoming more and more expensive, and um, we see the impact of that on the lives of the individuals that we work with daily. That's okay. one of the things that we're trying to mitigate. Okay, and can you give us a couple examples of kind of the how, how you're trying to do that work? This is year five, essentially, and there's been a lot of different ways that we've connected with community. This past year, we had our first annual mental health summit when we had over 15 different resource providers from Boston Com, everyone from, you know, people who were providing financial stability work to people who were doing counseling, people who were helping. If you wanted to get your taxes done, you could go and sign up there and tons of people didn't know about these free resources and might be going to, you know, pay someone to help them with their credit score when there's a resource right in their neighborhood that could do it for free. So for us, it was a really good opportunity to kind of showcase the available resources that are in our community that folks just didn't know about. Abdiweli, can you tell us a bit about what types of work you're doing in San Diego Collective and the East African Men and Boys Collaborative? We're located in City Heights, San Diego, and we focus on Young men ages 16 to 25 who are mainly refugees that came from Somalia and other East African countries. And we're a part of a collaborative that has a similar focus, and uh, we've built a strong partnership on helping them learn about mental health and finding them employment opportunities, working on advocacy, and uh, just overall community engagement. Okay, and uh, any specific activities or programs you want to highlight? Yes, we have a program called the Youth Hub, which is a centralized location in our uh, building where it's specifically for the young men in the community. They can come anytime they want to get away from the outside forces. And we also have a young men's basketball league on Friday nights to get them away and get them occupied uh, in the evenings. With each one of you, is there anything that comes to mind now that you've heard the question, other people talk, that you want to add to uh, your description of uh, your project? Yeah, I wanted to also mention our mental health education. We recently had a workshop in July, which was led by the youth in the community. They had a panel. They figured out all the questions and everything, and it was a very successful event. Excellent. For our team, we really try to center a lot of the work on male leaders. So even at the event that I had mentioned, we were super intentional about all of the vendors being men of color. We wanted to make sure that people felt comfortable talking about whatever kind of challenges they might be facing and just also showcase that there are men of color in leadership positions in Boston because I feel like sometimes you only see women at the forefront, especially in the social sector face. What have you learned over the last four years of this Making Connections collaboratives work that you've been doing in each of your communities? Well, I've learned the biggest thing about working in the community is building trust, not only with the population of focus that you're working with, but also with the collaborative members and other people in the organizations. At our very first meeting, which was focused on the Making Connections program, we invited uh, about 30 youth into the center, and we asked them to pinpoint and locate which areas that we should focus on for the program. And since the beginning, they've been involved, and we've built trust with them. And also with our collaborative, 
We've been engaged with them also since the beginning of Making Connections program. Marcus? I know one thing that I learned, I've only been with you guys for maybe two years now, mm-hmm. but in that two years span, I learned that if you actually have a plan of change and incorporate it with the young men, and they actually see you making the footwork to get it done, they'll grasp to it so much more. As far as just having somebody they believe in, like Abdueli stated, you know, having somebody that you could trust in mm-hmm. uh, means a lot. I work with young men from the age of 12 to 18, so that's that pivotal time where they're making that transition of going through everything. And just being able to have that trust and connection with them speaks volumes. Okay, so how do you build that trust? Talking to them. That's the main thing, dealing with the kids I deal with. Just asking them about their day, showing that you actually do care about them, not just on some, oh, you're here today and, you know, you're just at the club, but actually being able to support them and everything that they do. I have a couple of kids that's on the robotics team. I go and support them. A couple of kids that play football. Just them seeing your support, the fact that you're there, says a lot to them. And in the work that I've done with young people over the years, I mean, it's one thing to work with them. It's a whole other thing to see them and to engage them in a way where they can take leadership in certain Mm -hmm. spaces and places. And I think that's one of the key Mm -hmm. pieces that cuts across the three different communities that we're talking about is is youth leadership. I want to go to Carlene and ask you to give us a sense of kind of what you've learned. Yeah, I think one of the main things is really being consistent, whether you're working with young people or organizations. Our network is a group of seven different organizations all coming together. So if we're not having those monthly meetings, it's really easy to kind of just forget about things, to be disconnected. So making that commitment to meet monthly, to do those consistent check-ins, to know who's doing events, to make sure the referrals are happening. But that consistency has really been key. That speaks volumes in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Definitely. In what way? It speaks volumes as far as, you know, like I stated before, the fact that you care. If you're not always consistently doing it, it's not going to amount to anything. But the fact that you stay consistent with it, 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 it says a lot about your character. Yeah, well, I mean, again, when we're talking about young people and particularly the populations and communities that we're working with, mm-hmm. they see people come and go all right. the time. Right. Yeah. And so consistency is a huge, huge issue. And they want to know if you're going to be around right. for the long haul. Exactly. And whether you're going to be there for the long haul without judgment. So let me ask you, in terms of what you've learned, what are some of the challenges that you've had? And again, this is... In the era of real talk, we can mm-hmm. talk about how great we've been doing right. and everything we've <laughs> right. been doing right. But what are some of the challenges or even some of the mistakes you've made that you've learned from over the last four years? I see y'all smiling. I know each one of you has something. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest things in our uh, organization was uh, we had a uh, few employees that went on to different uh, jobs and businesses. So uh, staff and uh, staff development actually has been a uh, somewhat of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that creates an issue with all that consistency question. Yeah, that's when you got people who st- are stepping off and the youth are coming back and they're like, what's up with this? Where he go? Yeah, right. That's Where about she the same go? thing with us. We're moving. We're currently moving right now to a new location and a lot of the youth are asking, oh, is the hub still going to be there? Mm-hmm. So staying consistent is a, is a key, a big factor. And so how do you deal with that turnover? We have a few core members that's been there since the beginning, so we're mm-hmm. lucky to have them. And that's just to have a familiar face be there throughout the whole the long haul has been helpful. Yeah, and I, I see 
Carlene and Marcus shaking yeah. your heads. Yeah, Do you want to speak to this particular point? Well, we definitely have had a lot of staff transition. Part of it has been really powerful, though. When you get new people, sometimes they bring some new energy. They kind of spark the rest of the crew. But it also just takes a long time to reestablish those relationships. So you're not coming in and running and understanding things. So that trust building within the network has to also happen. And then I think personally for me, being a female in this space, I have to also, and this is one of the things that I've learned is to like, to to check myself in some of the meetings because sometimes I'm like, no, we got to go this way. Or like, I want you guys to do this or I want you guys to do that. And really kind of being a support mechanism and not trying to drive things to make sure that we're authentic to the male experience. Mm -hmm. I know what's losing staff it said a lot to the kids because they'll look forward to seeing like a certain face here as far as somebody they can talk to. But through it all, you just have to keep pushing forward regardless of the fact um, if you're shorthanded or anything. It's all about just making that push because if they see you still pushing forward as far as trying to make a change, still trying to make a difference in their life, they'll still continue to come. It's just all about just taking that time out and almost going at the turtle pace to, you know, build back up your trust with them. Okay. But, are there other things that yeah. have been challenges that you want to identify? I think the capacity definitely is a big challenge. When you work with big networks, people got like, you know, this is a quarter of someone's time and they're working on five different projects and just making sure that we're not having people working 75 hours a week because, you know, this work is hard and it's not a nine to five job. People are there right. on the weekends. People are there in the evenings. A lot of the times people are working in the communities that they live in. So it's personal, right? You can't just go home and forget about it. It's there at your door when you go <laughs> home. We've definitely had to deal with the capacity challenge. We're hopefully going to be getting some interns to help us with the coordination. But I do think that people are doing more than they can and it makes it hard for sustainability when individuals are juggling like three or four projects. You want to speak to that, Marcus? I know uh, another issue with us, and it's something as far that we're trying to change now as far as getting more members to come to the Boys and the Girls Club. In the area where I live at, athletics and after-school program is very high as far as football, band, and everything else. So that's kind of a challenge of drawing kids in. But we're trying to make programs now as far as continue to push in the Passport and the Manhood program to get more kids involved with the Boys and Girls Club. A lot of our youth leaders and peer counselors in the program have gone on to school and other opportunities. So that's another issue we faced was building up the next generation and helping mm -hmm. them take places of the people that went away. One of the things that occurs to me is when people step out to go to get education, what are the ways in which you can maintain your connection with them so that part of the ways in which they think about their education is that as to leverage that education to utilize it for the work that needs to happen in the community? Yeah, definitely. When the, uh, Just when they were on their summer break, like, few months ago they came back to the center and they helped out and volunteered and stayed connected with the community and helped recruit and stuff and also they were part of the mental health workshop we held and they were on the panel and speaking about the programs and stuff we had at the, the organization. Right so to me that's a critical point of having these folks who are critical resources not just letting them walk out the door mm -hmm. and losing them as a resource but maintaining that connection and creating ways where they can continue to participate and to give into the into the work of the collaborative. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to keep them involved any way you can. Right. Definitely. 
I want to move from that question to uh, how can you leverage these learnings that we're talking about to help sustain the work in terms of some of these strategies, but are there things that come up in terms of how you use these lessons? And if there are even other lessons that we haven't put out there, how do you use them to sustain the work? Well, one of the things that's helpful about being in a partnership that's more than a year, at year four, you kind of get a good sense of the, the capacity of each of your partners and who can do what and who's bringing what to the space. So this year, we've actually been thinking about what specific roles do we want people to really play within the network. And one of our teams is going to be thinking more in a strategic advisor role. So we've had these community champions for some time that we've never fully articulated and fleshed out. We kind of just took them for granted. They were people who continue to show up, people who we call champions, but we never convened them. So now we're like, wow, this is really an asset. How do we use this to scale it? How can we have this same kind of impact in all the neighborhoods that we work in? It's working in Roxbury. It might be able to work in the other two neighborhoods. So one of our partners is going to help us kind of create a little bit more infrastructure over that model so that we can use something that's kind of organically has been working as part of like a real asset to our program. Okay. Definitely. As Carlene said, as a collaborative, we pinpointed the programs and the workshops that were working and decided to focus on them going forward, not leaving behind the other programs that we were doing, but focusing on the main ones that we feel have have had the biggest impact. Okay. So let me ask this. Do you have a structured way within your collaborative of talking about the challenges and the lessons learned and strategizing about how you do this sustainability piece as a collaborative? And what is everybody's role in terms of trying to move that forward? We meet once monthly, the last Wednesday of every month, and we give everybody the option to speak and have a voice in the meeting. Uh, We even invite the young men in the community or the leaders that we feel have had the biggest impact in the community and give everybody the option to speak and give their input. We basically almost do the same exact thing. (laughs) (laughs) With our young men, we meet with them every Tuesday and Thursday of each week as far as trying to identify what things that they would like to do in community, actually having them teach some lessons or even lead the group meetings just to keep them involved and seeing how they want to make a change because their opinion is the most valued opinion that we have. Right. At our monthly meetings, we've been inviting people into our meetings to either do a short presentation or talk to us about a long-term strategy. One of the things that we've said we wanted to influence is policy, but none of us are policymakers. How do you do that, you know? We've had people come in and talk about specific legislation and how it impacts the people that we work with, and then we are kind of like, okay, well... What does that mean for us? What should our role within that be? We're not going to write a bill, but we might be passing out flyers for the event that's happening. Or there's a Black Male Advocacy Day that's happening in October that we're trying to get 100 different men to go at the state house for. We're trying to learn as we go, and we're bringing in experts to come and teach us collectively. And so part of what I hear within that answer is that identifying where some of the capacity needs are and figuring out how to develop capacity within the collaborative that will help move the work forward on a day-to-day basis, but also that will help sustain the work moving forward. Correct. Right. Tell me, based on your four years of working together on this initiative, what are some of the keys to lasting partnerships? 
Communication mm-hmm. is key as far as, you know, being involved with one another, giving each other ideas, feedback, opinions on whatever it may be. Communication is the main necessity to keep a good relationship going. Mm, yeah. I would say maybe flexibility. We create this work plan and we have goals and we have strategies, but, you know, one of the things that came out kind of naturally within our group was this kind of very specific focus on fathers Mm -hmm. that was never there in the beginning. And now it's almost like a focal point. So being able to be flexible, it's not like it's something that's way out of line from what we're doing. But if we were going in with just one goal, we wouldn't have brought in new partners. We wouldn't have seen like all the potential that the group could have. So I think it's important for us to stay focused, but also, you know, be flexible enough to bring in some new ideas. Okay. I feel like it comes back to trust. In the collaborative, if there's always someone you can lean on, you know they're always going to be there to do their part of the portion of the work or to help you on your portion or get recruitment or knowing that they'll be there to help you and building the trust and keeping the trust is a, is important. I think, too, it's important to also have fun. I mean, this work is tough, right? It is. Like, it's yes, heavy. It is. It's real. So how do you have fun? At our meetings, like the first half hour, we we really are just chatting away. How's your son doing? How's your kid doing? We usually have lunch. So the first 20, 30 minutes, we're just literally catching up. And that's important. Like people talk about the wins at the events that they've done. People pass it around pictures. It's just, it's, you know, you want to bring some joy into the stuff that you're doing. That's true. That fun, having fun at your meetings is a key component. I know when, um, being my boys get together, uh, we do such things as stars, stars uh, icebreakers, just to break the tension mm-hmm. in the room so you can loosen up and really voice your opinion. Because if you're going there uptight, you're not really going to get a lot accomplished. But when you bring that fun aspect into it, as far as just loosening up, that brings out the best of them. What I was going to say about that is that when you're doing this work, there's something to be said for knowing who you're working with and right. feeling right. who you're working That's with. Right. Right. When you talk about icebreakers... Part of it has has to do with how you get deeper than just talking about the work. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And everybody's got some reason why they're doing this work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so being able to share with each other what it is about you and your history and your experience that you bring to this, that's all part of getting closer and having relationships that then can help sustain the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, that doesn't necessarily feel sound like fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you, you got to hold each other accountable. Like if we have a meeting, someone's late. They get in that text. Yeah, where you, where got, you at? Yeah. Let's go. It starts at 12. It's 12.15. <laughs> and the re- I love the fun piece because part of it is breaking bread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chopping it up. Yep. So you're not always talking about the difficult stuff or the stuff that needs to happen, but you're lifting each other up as well as moving through the work and lifting folks in the community up. And right. that's part of that self-care and sustainability of people so they don't burn out. Right. Right? Positivity is key. you got to keep it positive. Mm-hmm. I think playing on what people's strengths are, We have some members who are very good at certain things, but they're not the members who I'm going to have write a report. you got to know who your team is. James is one of our newest members. He's a great public speaker. Anytime we have an event, James is, he's on the mic. We have another person who's really good at convening folks, Jarrell. Like, he works with his fraternity brothers or he has space available. He's that go-to person. 
making people feel valid, even though they might not have the mic or be in the front, trying to diffuse those, any kind of egos, because everyone's role is really essential, even if you're not always up at the podium. Mm-hmm. I know with us in the beginning, we always had this alpha male at the club as far as, you know, <laughs> if he's having a bad day, everybody mm. have a bad day. If he's having a good day, everybody's having a good day. So it's basically... Trying to keep those like that involved, letting them lead the group sometimes, letting them lead your meetings, those are something that I've learned as far as keeping everyone else involved. Because if they see the leader doing it, they'll want to do it. One example of our collaborative would be we've actually hired some of the young men that have been the youth leaders in the in the community. So we've given them a job and, and put them in charge of organizing events and getting the uh, flyers out and promoting and recruiting. So we've actually brought them into the organization and given them a position. A critical point that Abdullah is making is around striking a balance between the go-to person who is good at what they do and bringing along some of the younger talent and younger people to build their capacity to step into that role. At some point, the older person is going to step off. Right. Right. What advice would you have for those contemplating engaging more intentionally in upstream strategies to improve mental health and well-being for men and boys? And within that question, (laughs) part of it is what is it that you see as being upstream in terms of the work you do? And keeping in mind that this is a moving upstream podcast, we want to think about what it is about your work as well as how are you structuring the work to maintain that ability to do the work moving upstream. And what does that moving upstream mean to you? The advice I can give is say what you mean and mean what you say. If you're going to incorporate any type of plan, no matter what it may be, make sure that that plan goes through as far as you pushing the initiative and building that trust up with them. And that could be the perfect way for you to build your trust. If you say you're going to do something, then keep your word at it and do it. You just tell a young man that you're going to be there at his football game on time. It's just the fact that you're there. And advice I would give uh, would be to pinpoint and focus on which aspects of the organization or the programs have the biggest impact and continuing on, on building those. Because I know early on in our organization, we were trying to do too many things at once. Mm-hmm. So we had to slow down a little bit and see what was having the biggest impact and what engaged the youth the most. I think thinking about upstream work is people have to understand that you can't do it alone, right? Like there's no one organization, there's no one entity that's going to solve any of the issues that any of us are dealing with. So as much as collaborative as we can be, working with people that are not within our own network or within our own space is really key. This year we have a big focus on working with policymakers. There are people who... We typically don't see in our neighborhoods, but are making all of the decisions for the people that live there. In addition, working with our DA office. So we have a new district attorney. Yeah, she's dope. She's she's (laughs) she's amazing. (laughs) Rachel Rollins. She's the first African-American woman for Suffolk County. And it's just completely changing the game in Boston. So using that, like, let's leverage that resource. And she's been super accessible. So now we're going to continue to hold her accountable and and also support her because I think a lot of the times when you we talk about upstream it's like when's the next battle like you know we got to go out we got to show up but it doesn't always have to be like that these are people who are working for us so how do we actually work together 
we're thinking about having a resource fair with the assistant district attorneys so they know what resources are available. Those are some of the strategies that we've been thinking about, um, really focusing on who is making these decisions outside of our space and who we can bring into the work that we do more. What I'm hearing, and particularly in that last discussion, is that moving upstream is about moving beyond just individual engagement and treatment, which we have to do. But how do we develop processes, approaches, and strategies that deal with systems and institutions and organizations that impact the health and well-being and the mental health of men and boys? We had a program where we worked with the uh, San Diego Police Department and they invited us into their center or their the police department and we gave a presentation on how to be more culturally appropriate to towards the community that they were servicing. Mm-hmm. Another thing, we've had a challenge engaging mental health organizations and the, just the overall health clinics and being more culturally competent. That's one of the issues that we're focusing on currently. It's been difficult dealing with them. I feel like we have to find something where we're in charge. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how we're going to do that, but it's been tough, yeah. Yeah, but it being able to identify that yeah. that's a, a need that you need to develop a strategy around mm-hmm. helps to shape the way in which you approach the work that you do. I know for us, trying to identify where their weaknesses are at so that we can build them up, whether it just be academic success a lot of our boys, they take school seriously, but then again, they don't because they don't feel as though it's not, you know, cool to have good grades in school. So with each of those examples, it in some ways creates an interesting question as to who's a part of the collaborative. And do you have somebody from the school district or the school board or a school who's a part of the collaborative? Do you have someone from law enforcement or probation or mm-hmm. who's a part of the collaborative? And how close do you bring them into the collaborative? Or is it just that you have those connections and that there's certain things you don't want them to know? <laughs> so you're not, they're not at every meeting, but they're at the ones where they need to be. How do you think about those kind of things? I just recently became director over the Boys and Girls Club, so it's kind of uh, appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so it's something that I am going to try to work on as far as bringing them in on it because the more help that you have, the better things would be. We haven't really thought about bringing in partners to be part of the network. That's actually a great idea. I'm happy to talk to the team about it. What we've been doing is having people to come at our monthly meetings to present and kind of talk to them about what we do. So that's one kind of interaction point. And then we also are having these larger scale events where we'll bring people from outside of the outside of our network, invite them to the event to present or to have a table or something like that. But as far as an actual partnership within the network, that's a good idea. Maybe that's a year five goal. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Um, currently, we don't have any law enforcement or in the collaborative, but we do engage them and we have a relationship with them. So we'll definitely think about uh, getting them more involved. And I'm not saying that necessarily you want to have them at the table in the collaborative. It's mm-hmm. a question you have to ask, and right. it's a strategic question. Yeah. As to kind of how do you do that? How do you structure the relationship right. with institutions, with agencies and organizations, with government, to be able to push your agenda? Again, all the time thinking about what we're trying to do is help these boys and men but we're also looking at moving upstream and creating systems that can promote their wellness and their success. Let me ask 
if you have any thoughts about things we haven't talked about in relationship to sustaining the work, moving forward, goals that you would have for your collaborative and for, the, for your work moving into the future. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about coming here is to kind of be a part of a like a broader movement. You know what I mean? Sometimes when we get back to our cities, it's like you focus on San Diego, you focusing on Boston, and then you come here and you're like, wow, there's a whole network of folks doing this work. How do we bring that back with us and talk about the work in more of like this national type of way? The more that we talk about this as a broader issue, the more it seems like a systemic upstream kind of conversation and not like this is a specific Boston challenge. Okay. Any thoughts, Abdul? Yeah, one of our our main long-term goals was to build a mental health clinic in the community Mm -hmm. with uh, East African doctors and clinicians. So that's our long, long long-term goal. And how do you build toward that? And what are the ways in which you're building toward that at this point? Um, at the moment, it's tough even finding East African doctors to come into the organization. So mm-hmm. maybe education, helping these young men that we currently have in our organization, gear them more towards uh, mental health education and, and getting educated and coming back into the community and helping the future generations. Right. So that's the long view. That's, sir, mm-hmm. that's, that's big time, way upstream. Yeah. All right. All right. One of my main goals is to keep bringing awareness to the young men in our community, that they don't have to be a product of their environment, that they can change their outcome regardless of skin color, their background, or even where they come from. It's all about just making them see the future. Even if someone else is telling them that they don't have a future, it's about pushing them to see the future in themselves, having that self-motivation in themselves and continue to inspire them to be the best that they can be in everything that they do. On top of what Marcus said, I think at the end of the day, too, really keeping the individuals that are being impacted at the forefront of what we're doing. And I think for me, it's just been such a great process to not just focus on things like in a theoretical way, but when you really know the stories and you hear people who are actually impacted by the work, it's just awesome. Just got to figure out ways to continue to elevate that message so people can see what this work can really do. Just grateful to be here. Grateful to be around great people that enjoy doing what they do as far as making an impact on young men's life. Mm -hmm. That's just a a great experience to be around so much positivity in one Mm -hmm. setting. It's a great thing to be around. Well, Carlene and Abdueli and Marcus, I want to really thank you for your honesty, your insight, and your thoughtfulness in terms of trying to address some of these questions, which I think we can all learn from. And thank you for the work that you do day to day. And thank your collaborative members, because we know that this is not an individual (laughs) um, (laughs) work that that you're engaged in. The final point is that some of what you talked about today goes to some of the questions of sustainability, and it is how do we tell this story? How do we tell the story of what it is that we're doing? How do we tell the story of the successes we're having? How do we tell the story of the value of this work that needs to be supported and nurtured and invested in as a way to create systems of change and systems of wellness and health for young boys and men and veterans in our community. Thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode of Moving Upstream. To learn more about today's show, visit our website at preventioninstitute.org. We'd love to hear your ideas and feedback about this podcast. Find us on Twitter. 
We're at Prevention Inst. That's Prevention, I-N-S-T.